That's good. Thank you guys for leading us. It's so good to worship the Lord. All right, so most of you know, a lot of you know at least, uh, we're in a series called Soul Care 2.0. We're exploring how, if I'm honest, we're exploring discipleship. But we're doing it at a level that is this thinking about how can our souls be healthier along the way. And before we jump into that, I want to come back to dads just one more time. Wish you another happy Father's Day. I, I think today we're going to talk about the spiritual habit of servanthood. And I honestly believe with, with all of my heart that we need more dads who model, live, and teach servanthood. Kids. And that's important. I, I, you know, I don't mean that at all, right? right? But it is to say that, that we need dads who do that. So in honor of Dad's Day, I want to have a little fun. You have 10 fingers, right? At least most of us. Sorry if I left somebody up. All right. All right, so, so or four, eight, eight fingers and two thumbs, you know, however you want to argue about that. All right, so I want you to count this with me, and I'm going to grab my stool and have a seat because I'm going to be in trouble a little later if I don't do that. And so uh, I'm going to have a little seat here. But that said, we're going to talk about some famous dadisms, famous dadisms, okay? So I want you to count how many of these you can count up, you can count down, you know, whichever works for you. Famous dadisms, how many of them you heard from your dad? All right? Number one, I'm not sleeping, I'm just resting my eyes. That's good. That's good. When I was your age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you got that one? You got it? Or and or. What did your mom say? Smart dad. All right. Uh, what do you think I'm made of? Money? That's good. Yeah, exactly. It grows on trees, but not in my house. Uh, they don't make them like they used to. You always got to pound on something. You know, I didn't even add, the, add this one, but how many of your dads get the stud finder out, you know, for the walls and, oh, yeah, 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 you know, you know, got to do that, dads. That's, we're good. All right. Uh, they don't make them like they used to. All right. Uh, what part of no don't you understand? All right. Uh, two wrongs don't make a... Exactly. Uh, life was fair. Anybody got all of them yet? It's good. We're doing good so far. If everybody else jumped off a cliff... All right. One last one. Don't just stand there. All right. So how many of you got 10 out of 10? All right, I think we have reasons to be thankful for dad. Right? Uh, don't just stand there, do something. I want to talk about that actually today. We could keep this going for a long time, couldn't we? Right? Right? We're talking about spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices that help us relate to God with our lives. We, we called them actually a couple of weeks ago. We call these things spiritual play because we want to change our mentality about them a little bit. We want to think of them as an invitation. The point of all of this is that Jesus is inviting me, that there's a daily moment-by-moment -moment invitation to live every single moment like my entire life depends on him because it does. So again, in honor of dads, I want to talk about <clears throat> football. Because football is a, a sport where we think about practicing, right? Right. So any of you Peyton Manning fans? That's what I'm talking about. I, I like Peyton Manning. I mean, it, it helps a little bit that I rooted for the Denver Broncos a lot of years. Uh, it helps a little bit, you know, some of you that Peyton lost to the C. What do you call him, Benton? Hey. Yeah. <laughs> One of those Super Bowls, you know. But Peyton Manning, right, great football player. Right, one of the better quarterbacks ever. We can debate whether he's best ever. We're not getting into Tom Brady today, but <laughs> Peyton Manning. So Peyton Manning is famously known for a few of the certain things they would do regiment-wise in practice. 
So for instance, uh, Peyton famously tells the story that every few weeks, he and uh, Jeff Saturday, I think, Jeff Saturday was the, the snapper for Peyton. He and Jeff Saturday, every few weeks, would practice the wet ball drill, the wet ball snap. And literally what would happen is that for 100 snaps, uh, Jeff would line up on the ball, but before he was handed the ball, a, a coach um, or an equipment guy would water down the ball so it was completely soaked, give it to Jeff, Jeff would hike it to Peyton, and they would practice this over and over and over. And one day, Jeff says, why, why on earth are we doing this? Why on earth are we practicing a wet ball drill? This week, we're playing indoors, you know, in the RCA dome, back when it was the RCA dome. We are practicing in a, we're going to play in a dome. And Peyton said something along the lines of, well, you never know, the roof might leak, right? We've got to be ready no matter what. So three weeks in, three weeks at, at most of his career, Peyton would practice this. In fact, he would credit his coaches for it. Even his college coach, I believe, made him go through this drill. And he said, we've just got to be ready for all the conditions no matter what. So back in 2007 or so, Peyton played in his first Super Bowl. He was playing against the Chicago Bears. And it had been sunny all weeks in Miami, Florida. Beautiful week. Beautiful sunshine. Outdoor stadium, obviously. And leading up to the week and even right before the wet ball drill. And Jeff didn't particularly like it because what happens basically is he gets practice with the wet ball, right? His pants are soaked, his arms are soaked, his jersey is soaked. He's, he's why, why, why are we out in that Super Bowl, again, 2007, playing against the Chicago Bears, it poured. Peyton famously threw a catch to Reggie Wayne, 47-yarder, 48-yarder, something like that. And in, in the end, Colts win the Super Bowl. In fact, Peyton's first Super Bowl. No fumbles on snaps. Poured down rain. Bears had two fumbles on snaps. Habits matter. What we practice matters. What we do day in and day out matters. And if you have trouble thinking of it as play, <clears throat> what exactly do football players think of their stuff as? They get to play football. We get to play in the sense of living life with dad every day of our lives. And Peyton would be the first to tell you that it was a team effort, that it wasn't all him, that Joseph Odai, Odai ran the ball incredibly, that, that Red catches, that, but the bottom line is they were ready because they worked on these habits day out. So last week we talked about the practice, the spiritual habit of of intentionally scheduling time to do nothing, of slowing our souls because that allows room and space for Jesus to work. Today we're going to talk about the habit or the practice of serving, which sounds like the opposite of slowing. And not to confuse you, but if that's not enough, right? If these don't seem like enough of a conflict, next week I'm going to come back to stopping. It's a Sabbathing. And again, these things seem like opposites. Serving sounds like activity. Slowing sounds like unplugging. Stopping sounds like, well, frankly, it, it sounds like stopping. But I would note for you that Jesus practiced all of these spiritual habits in his life. He knew when to unplug, he knew when to engage, and he knew when to let go. And the bottom line is that Jesus wants to give you and you and you and you and you and you. He wants to give us his life, and he wants to live his life through us. But in order to make that happen, we need his heart. In fact, the thing I want to start with today, right up front, if you're taking notes, fill in blanks, uh, filling in blanks. I want to start with our one thing. The one thing this message is about. If I could say it in a sentence, I'd say it this way. If I want to be filled with the life of Jesus, I must embrace the servant heart of Jesus. That to be filled with the life of Jesus, among other things at least, comes from embracing his heart. And his heart 
is a servant heart. We often say here at Harvest that we start with love and we end with love. This is where it comes from. In fact, this idea we'll see later today impacts a lot of our core values. Now, let me read this story to you. It's fairly... It's John chapter 13. Jesus has made it to Jerusalem. He has made hours now literally away from being crucified. He is... Over this is going to happen. John 13 says it was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And the evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power under his authority, and that he had come from God and was returning good to God. So just pause there. What did Jesus know? That he'd been given all power, that all things had been put in under his authority, under his influence, under his power. What does he do next? Verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, you have to understand that day and that culture and that time, this was a servant's job. Even saying that, I'm softening it a bit, it was a slave's job. It doesn't mean I approve of slavery. It doesn't mean I think slavery is okay. I'm just acknowledging the culture they were in. All right? I mean, we'd be clear, right? Slavery is not right. But it was in their culture a slave's job. And when these men came to the dinner, they would have known that. And when they entered the building, they would have noted that there was no servant there to wash their feet. And so it would be, if you think about it, sort of the next... It, a hierarchy of upside-downness, it would be the next servant's job. It would be the next lowest on the totem pole's job. It, however you want to phrase that, it would be the next lowest person's job. And as they came in, Peter and James, John, and the rest of them look around. And nobody does it. Nobody washes feet, so they sit down for dinner, dirty feet. Which if you walk all the time, it's kind of a big deal. I don't know if you really like throwing all your dirty dirt out on the table for everybody to eat, but. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? So at some level, this sounds like Peter is saying, like, really, are you going to? Like, am I going to let you do this? Like, you're Lord. At some deeper level, he's saying, well, you're not the servant, Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never, like this is not your role. You have all power. You have all authority. You're Jesus the Christ. Like, I will go to the death for you. This is the kind of stuff Peter says, right? right you, this is not what you're, not that you're made. This is not who you are. Jesus answered, you have no part with me. Simon Peter replied, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands, my head as well. Wash all of me. Those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. The clear reference to who was already betraying him, but was present. When he'd finished washing their feet, so he goes disciple by disciple. And I sort of picture that every one of the disciples, maybe not externally, but internally, went through the same thing Peter did. Why 
is Jesus washing? Why am I not washing his feet? Why am I not washing his feet? Why didn't I pick up the towel when we showed up? Why didn't I push away from the table and wash his feet? Why, 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 why? When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and you call me Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. For very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you, if you do them. I, I, I wouldn't pretend to add to the words of Scripture, but I think the emphasis here is if you would actually do them. Now that you know these things, You'll be blessed if you, if you actually do these things. Remember that other pretty famous verse that Jesus came not only be served, but to, not to be served, but to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew authority had been given to him. He knew that the time was present. He knew what was coming. All power and authority was in his hands and he picked up the towel to wash stinky, dirty, undeserving feet. This is the heart of Jesus. You might say to yourself, well, what, what is servanthood? What is, what is a servant's heart? What exactly are we talking about? And I wrote these, these two sentences in my notes. That a servant's heart, servanthood, is the willingness to actually do what nobody else wants to do to actually do what nobody else wants to do you know at the end of the day the trash still has to be taken out at the end of the day the toilet's got to be unplugged unclogged i mean who in the body of christ goes that's my spiritual gift I am a toilet unclogger. The worse the clog, the better I am at it. I'm a roto-rooter of at the Somebody has got to do what nobody wants to do. I also wrote in my notes, this is a servant's heart is a heart that is willing to actually do what everybody wants somebody else to do. Like we acknowledge that it needs to be done. But we sort of, you know, somebody says, hey, volunteers, don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Somebody's hand go up. Please, 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 don't no eye contact. What everybody wants somebody else to do, it's a willingness to do those things. We've modeled everything we do here at Harvest in a lot of ways around this principle. Our evangelism strategy is built around this principle. It's why we want to be known what, by what we're for, not what we're against. It's why we lay our souls bare to serve our community. It's why we partner with community organizations. And we need to do more of that, frankly. It's why we come alongside organizations and you say, but they're not, they're, they're not represented by Christians. Well, that's the point. They may not be Christian, but we're going to serve them. Think about all the ways the Bible challenges us to serve. I put some verses here in your notes. But this reminds me that at home, that I am to practice servanthood, right? 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You might know that verse is followed by wives. Your wives as Christ loved the church. My interpretation of that is in both cases, we're challenged to lay down our lives at home for one another. Those verses are followed by children and parents laying down their lives for one another, that parenthood is a practice of this servanthood we're talking about. Home is a place for me to practice this servanthood. My neighborhood is a place for me to practice this servanthood. 
Jesus taught us, and Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I wonder in American life, If what the world sees is what, what we think is our good politics rather than our good deeds. And they go, we already got politics. We don't need any of that. My work and my school, whatever it is you do with your, your 40 hours, your 50 hours, your, 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 your Monday to Friday, your Sunday to Thursday, whatever your work week is, and by the way, stay-at-home momming is work too, right? That there is quite a bit of effort. I'm not just talking about jobs. I'm talking about the heart and soul of what you pour your life into. Everyday work can be a spiritual practice when it's done for the Lord. You say, where do you get that? Well, how about the book of Ephesians chapter 6? Serve wholeheartedly as if, you, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Well, what does that do to you when you don't like your human boss? Okay, Lord. A chance to serve. When you frequent businesses in the community, restaurants in the community, places you shop in the community, Colossians 4, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That there is a very real sense in which our conversations are to serve others that we are to build others up, as it says in countless places in Scripture. And of course, church is a place to develop a servant's heart. 1 Peter chapter 4, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Romans chapter 12, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All of this is a chance to practice servanthood. Everyday life is a chance to practice servanthood. Every relationship I come in contact with is a chance to practice servanthood. So what I want to do is I want to give you, to be just applicable, I want to give you four progressions on my way to embrace the servant heart of Jesus. And actually, when we get to the end of the four progressions, I want to show you how this, re how this can be reversed and how it, religion often does reverse this, and how those regressions take us away from the servant heart of Jesus. So let me start here, four progressions on my way to embrace the servant heart of Jesus. Number one, I need every single day to embrace a heart that sees what Jesus sees. That is to say, I need open eyes, open spiritual eyes. I need every day to have a heart that can see as Jesus sees. Verse 4 said he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin. He began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Think about the humility that's involved here. We'll get to that in a second. We just think. How does Jesus take the step of humility? He's just got eyes. Opens up. And he probably saw it as they walked in the room. In fact, I sort of think he watched them walk into the room. And he watched that inner pride struggle that was going on inside of them where they went, not me. Not my job. Not my, I don't want to touch those nasty. I barely want to wash my own feet. You know, I mean, it's like clipping your own toenails. I mean, it's bad enough to clip your own toenails. And when you bend and stoop to clip the toenails of somebody else, you feel the servanthood of that, don't you? When you engage someone else's feet. And Jesus saw not only that there was no one there to wash the feet, Jesus watched as 
all of his disciples, whom he had taught for year after year after year now, walked on by and said, yeah, not me. Not only did he see that nobody washed the feet, not only did he see that there was pride in his disciples. And just think about this. He saw them with compassion. A lot of times when we see pride in others, we go, or, or we do the southern thing. I mean, I don't, I'm not making fun of this, but I grew up mostly southern, but I still say y'all from time to time, right? right? But I gave up saying fixing a long time ago. Right? Fix and go to the store. Fix and, if, you, if you speak Southern, you know what I'm talking about, right? In the South, they say, oh, bless your heart. Which is a Southern way of saying, you poor fool. Or, you idiot. You stupid. You know, oh, bless your heart. Right? And, and Jesus didn't respond to his disciples with, oh, bless your heart. He responded with compassion. I think about the time the disciples missed what he was trying to say. You remember the time that the people were bringing the little children to Jesus? Right? The babies, the young ones, and the disciples tried to shoo them away. Like, oh, come on, this is the master. He's got important things to do. Like, you, he does not have time. Jesus rebuked them. It says when Jesus saw this, because the disciples were rebuking the people bringing children, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he basically said, disciples, let the children come to me, for the kingdom belongs to such as these. You remember when Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan? You remember, right, the reason we called the parable of the Good Samaritan? story by the way samaritan and their world would have been like the people they can't stand the people from the other side of the town i mean there was there was racism among other things going on in that story there was all kinds of judgment going on in that story and the passed by on the other side it actually says when jesus is telling the parable when he saw the person in their need he passed by on the other side and the levite the priest passed by on the other side and then the levite came along and when the levite saw what was happening he passed by on the other side this is about having eyes that sees what jesus sees but goes with the heart jesus has does, does this make sense one of the best things i can do to be super practical in my daily walk with jesus is i can pray jesus give me your eyes to see what you're doing in others around me we're often so consumed because of hurry, everything we talked about last week, with our own stuff, that we don't even see it. What, is, what it is that Jesus is doing around us in other people. We miss what God is up to because we just aren't looking for it. Do we need to see with Jesus' eyes? In fact, I would challenge you this week, drive around, slow down on a drive with this sole purpose. Jesus, give me your eyes for what I see. Not on your way to the grocery store, not on your way to work, not that you can't do this on your way to work. Go for a drive this week and say, Jesus, give me your eyes for this city. Number two, for progression, open eyes. The second is to embrace a heart that chooses the humility that Jesus chooses. This is about open hearts, and I realize I have a heart in the point. Just go with it. Open eyes, open hearts. Humility is about compassion. Humility is about lowering myself on the totem pole. Humility is about saying that I am not above this, that I am willing to lower myself On the glory scale. I'm willing to lower myself on the honor scale. When he came to Simon Peter, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, just, do you think that that was coming 
at some level, can you give Peter credit and say, that seemed like an obvious thing to say, that that was probably or, uh, maybe a partly motivated right place. Dear Lord, I'm not. Like, are you going to wash my feet? This is... But at some other level, easily could be coming from Peter's pride. I'm not going to have you wash my feet. I don't want my feet washed. Let me say that a different way. Some of us are good, well-practiced at serving. How are we at being served? I sort of like to fancy myself as having a servant's heart. Six years ago when I had back surgery, I couldn't do much for myself. I had to practice being served. I'm going to be honest. That's uncomfortable. I'd rather be the caregiver than the one receiving the care. I'd, I'd rather be the giver than the receiver. I had to come face to face with is that it's pride that says no don't serve me now that's not to say that that all people who who, who want to serve not be served are full of pride but Peter's saying to Jesus I, no 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 you're not going to wash my feet Jesus said hey you don't realize what I'm doing but later you will understand Peter, you shall never wash my feet. No, not ever. You have no part with me. Suddenly his eyes are open. He goes, oh, then, then I need all of it washed. And then Jesus goes, all right, I realize you're being literal now. And he gives the thing about, okay, if, you, if you've had a bath, then every part of you is clean. He's trying to make a spiritual point. So I wrote in my notes a couple of practical ways to embrace you. I wrote, I just need to be interruptible. To be interruptible. Which goes back to slowing. Willingness to let God interrupt me. Interrupt my schedule, interrupt my plans, interrupt my day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote that we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God that God will be constantly crossing our paths, canceling our plans, sending us people with claims and petitions and needs, that we must be preoccupied by our more important tasks as the priest passed by the man who had fallen among the Bible. It's part of the discipline of humility that we must not spare our hand where it can perform a service that we do not assume that our schedule is our own to manage, but we allow even our schedule to be arranged by God. That's challenging. Because you got stuff to do, right? You got a list. You got you to line them up, knock them down, cross them off, you know? To be interruptible. I also wrote in my notes, and I guess these aren't blanks, but there's just not enough room, you know? I wrote in my notes, be anonymous. Be anonymous. Do something in servanthood that nobody else will know about. Do something, give something in servanthood without trying to get any of the credit. There's a famous story of Terry Bradshaw talking about one of his linemen who was exhausted, just completely out of breath. But they were in a big game, and the game was tight, and this lineman, in all of his exhaustion, created a hole. They handed off the ball to the running back, and the running back went up the middle, scored the touchdown, time expires, win the game. And the entire stadium goes nuts. Everybody hoists the running back up, and one guy, and one guy alone, looking at that lineman, it was the head coach. Because he knew that that's what made the play happen. And sometimes I think we miss the servant's heart because we're not looking for approval there. We're looking for it everywhere else. Three, 
if I'm going to really progress through this, then I need open eyes and open hearts, hearts that embrace humility. But number three, I need to embrace a heart that offers the grace that Jesus offers. The grace that Jesus offers. This is saying that I need to have an open mind. Sometimes the reasons we don't serve, and I'm going to be straight here, particularly us Christians, is because our minds get closed to people who don't believe what we believe. And I just want you to notice that here in the story, verse 2 said the evening meal was already being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew this. And later in the story, Jesus said, hey, I'm to wash his feet. You're clean. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. And the disciples didn't get this until later. And when they looked back and they remembered that Jesus washed the feet of the man who was in the process of betraying him, whose heart had already... In fact, the Gospels point out that his heart had already... Time and time before, where he was the stealer of the... He was the money keeper for the group, and he was the, the taker from, from the money purse. And Jesus knows all of this, and he's still making an appeal again to a man who absolutely does not deserve it. Now here is another moment to turn around. Here is another moment to do the right thing. Now, Judas isn't going to, and Jesus knows that. But there he is washing the feet of his betrayer. Now, by the way, if you have a lens that says, you know what, Judas absolutely didn't deserve it. I just want to point out that neither did Peter, and neither did James, and neither did John, and neither did any of the others. There's not a, there's not a man in that room who deserved it. And there's not a person sitting in this room who deserves grace. And so the challenge is to be people who live with an open mind because I almost guarantee that there are some people that you aren't willing to serve because they just don't seem like they deserve it. On the other side, it might be people who act a certain way. It might be people who embrace a lifestyle you don't agree with. It may be people who've hurt you. It may be people who've stabbed you in the back. It may be people that you can't stand. Remember that verse a while ago about the boss? You're willing to serve a boss as though you're serving the Lord? Have you noticed over, some of you are bosses, so you get this. But have you noticed that over time, most employees see the boss as the boss? It's, it's, it's often, you know, not always a good word. Jesus could have seen Ju Judas as someone not in line, as someone who is different, as a betrayer, and that would have been true, as someone who should serve him, and that would be true. As someone who doesn't come close to deserving what he's offering, that would be true. And he washes his feet anyway. This is just the point of grace. None of us deserve it. Jesus came and served and sacrificed himself anyway. And so I need eyes and hearts and minds that are flooded. When I see other people, I can see them the way Jesus sees them. I can feel for them the way Jesus feels for them in my stomach with compassion for the way Jesus is moved with compassion for them so that I can serve them the way Jesus would serve them. It's very easy for religiosity to pull us into a game where we begin early in our Christian walk to say, I don't deserve it, but later in our Christian walk to say, oh, but I do deserve. I mean, it's subtle. I, months and months ago, there was... 
something that happened outside our house, and there was a car that had broken down, or was that ran out of gas, something like that, across the street from our house, and it was blocking the road. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go out. I'm going to help these guys try to get the car out of the road, that kind of thing. And there was some other crises going on in this couple. I'll just say it that way. And they were not okay and not straight. And uh, I think there may have been some, some other substances involved. And they were having a conflict. And the husband wanted the car to go up on the curb. And the wife wanted the car to go, or the, the female, I don't know if they were married, to go further down and into a parking lot. And they'd run out of gas. And I wanted to see if I had gas, and I, you know, I had like a tiny bit, right, in my, in my mowing can, right? So I, I gave them what little I had, and we still couldn't get the car started. And in the middle of all that, their keys disappeared, <laughs> right? And so we're, we pushed the car up onto the sidewalk in a ways, and it's where it shouldn't be sitting, and, and then they're still arguing, and after a bit, we decide that it's going to go down to the parking lot just a little down from us. And so we push it back down into the street. Another neighbor comes out. We push it down the street. Now we're trying to get it up into the parking lot. And I say up in on purpose because when you're pushing a several thousand pound vehicle and there's only a couple of you pushing, right, it, 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 you know, you're trying to rock it. You're trying to do what you're trying to do. And I get done with all of that and I come inside and I can't find, I don't remember, it was either my keys or my phone. Right, so there's something now I can't find. Back outside, I believe it was raining. Back out in the rain, I'm looking around. I got my flashlight. I'm looking everywhere we went. I'm retracing all the stuff. Back to the shed, look in the gas can. Back to the, back to the, where the car ended up. All along the street, I'm looking, 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 looking. And during that, I remember thinking, Jesus, I would do the right thing. Like, here I am serving and my reward is that I've lost something. Notice the subtle, I'm good for you. I don't deserve this. Well, it turns out that the lost phone or keys or whatever it was, like up in the bedroom, you know, it, had nothing to do with where I had been serving. It just if you know what I mean. So subtle, so easy to think, God, you owe me. I've done for you. And to embrace a heart that both receives and offers the grace Jesus offers because I'm not deserving and they're not deserving and the whole point is we're not deserving. Number four, four progressions, open eyes, open hearts, open minds. Number four is I need to embrace a heart that steps up as Jesus stoops down. Steps up to stoop down as Jesus stoops down. This is to say that it actually needs to translate to open hands. You remember by the end of this, right? Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done from you. No servant is greater than his messenger, uh, greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you, if you do them. That it's got to translate to open hands. Now, again, I told you, this is a progression. Open hearts, open minds, open hands. But notice that the regression happens in time. Closed hands, closed minds, closed hearts, closed eyes. Closed hands. I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. Closed minds. I can't be seen with those people. Closed hearts. I'm better than those people. Closed eyes. Those people don't matter and don't even exist to me. The calling of Jesus is to embrace not only his life, but his heart, a willingness to step up to stoop down, to get our hands dirty literally, 
to find a small need and meet it, to do what no one else is willing to do, to do what everybody else wants somebody else to do. Do I have to mention that there are a million things we could talk about in church life? Right? Whether it's weeding in the flower beds or it's handing out on the side of the road when there's a parade going by. When it's embracing all the folks that are downtown, sitting the sidewalks. Whether it's handing out people who you think haven't earned it. Whether it's these babies. I kind of think of the babies as the most of these. They're still innocent. And what a privilege. What a privilege to love on the least of these in the sidewalk in town. What a privilege to walk out of my house and serve a couple in the middle of an argument on who knows what substance because their car did whatever it did. Am I willing to actually serve? To come alongside our partners at Monroe Middle School or Cal Young Middle School across. Do you know every single, I mean, it's done now for the season, but during the school year, three o'clock every single afternoon, our parking lot is filled with parents and kids. What an opportunity to serve. Don't get me started, though. We go to the school district and say, can we rent the field across the street? It's a fortune. But they use our parking lot, you know. Sorry. <laughs> Am I saying they don't deserve it? Am I embracing the heart of Jesus? Which is it I need to do? You know, one of our core values is meaningful servanthood. We outserve our size. Another one of our core values is positive influence, that we want to be known for what we're for, not just what we're against. One of our core values has to do with outsiders and the next generation that we're going to focus there, that we focus on reaching people far from God because they matter to Jesus. And we even place a disproportionate focus on those who aren't here yet. We start with love, we end with love, and almost everything about our values drives this way. And one more story, and I'm going to close this in prayer. This story goes back to the Revolutionary War. A man in civilian clothes rolled past a group of soldiers. They were repairing a defensive barrier that was relatively small, and their leader was barking instructions at them and making no attempt to help them. And the man in civilian clothes who was riding by asked the man who clearly was in charge why he wasn't helping. And he said, sir, I am a corporal. And the stranger apologized and he dismounted from his horse and he proceeded to help the exhausted soldiers. And when the job was done, he turned to the corporal and he said, Mr. Corporal, Next time you have a job like this and you, not, you do not have enough men to do it, I want you to go to your commander-in-chief. And I want you to tell them that I, George Washington, will come and help anytime you need it. That's why we call it servant leadership. I don't know if you are feeling the Spirit impressing on you in this moment or not, but if you need Jesus today, if you need, just picture this, Jesus, but to serve, who came and gave his life, sacrificed his life as a ransom for many. This heart change will not happen. forgiveness and love that comes from Jesus to just wash over your life like he said to Peter and to change Jesus came for this very purpose to die for our sins 
He rose from the dead. He's available to live in every single one of us today and to live his life in us and through us. If you need Jesus today, would you pray a prayer of salvation with me? We always close with two prayers, and the first is a prayer of salvation. If you need Jesus, pray with me just like this. Dear Jesus, I confess that I don't deserve you. That my, my wrongs and my sins are many. That my rather be served than serve. Jesus, thank you that you came, you lived, you died, and you rose again. I turn to you, Jesus, and I ask you to forgive my sins and take over my life and be my God and flood my life with your way of life, with love, with humility, with grace, with servanthood. Open my eyes. Open my heart. Open my mind. Open my hands. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're online or you're here in the room, if you prayed to follow Jesus for the first time, man, I'd love, love, love to know that. I mean, we celebrate that in a big way, and I, I would love to celebrate that with you. You can tell me on the communication card I mentioned earlier. You can tell me uh, by finding me right outside after we're done. You can email me online. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurcheugene.com. You can tell someone who invited you who you came with. Man, we'd love to celebrate that. Time ago, but the if Spirit is impressing on you this servanthood idea. You need to practice this more. Maybe you'd pray this prayer of application with me. Dear Jesus, Thank you for showing me what humility and servanthood truly look like. Jesus, I am willing to be made willing. So give me your eyes for your heart of humility, your mind for grace. And when I can, where I can, Help me to step up when no one will step up. Help me to stoop down like you stoop down. Fill my life with your way of life. Open eyes, open hearts, open minds, open hands. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That is my prayer for you, friends. I'm so glad you're worshiping Jesus today. Again, if I can serve you in some way, I would love to. And remind us that there are opportunities to give. We've got a box in the back. We're not passing a basket. Online, you can give. There's a link for our digital giving as well. We'd love for you to do that if this is ministered to you in some way. Collect our communication cards and baskets in the back. Please don't forget those. Just remember, you guys, you're loved. You're so loved.